Blessed be God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And blessed be his kingdom now and forever. Amen. It is Pentecost Sunday, and today we celebrate the birth of the church. And as well today, we look forward to a week from now when we will be reopening for public worship. And so now more than ever before, we pray for the coming of the Holy Spirit on us and on the church as we move in to mission afresh together. Let us call upon the Holy Spirit now in this prayer, the Collect for Purity. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us join together in our opening hymn of praise. Let us humbly confess our sins to Almighty God. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and hum we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who in his great mercy has promised forgiveness of sins to all those who sincerely repent and with true faith turn to him, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and bring you to everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. O Lord, open our lips, and our mouth shall proclaim your praise. O God, make speed to save us. O Lord, make haste to help us. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, 
is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Praise the Lord. The Lord's name be praised. Please join me as we read Psalm 104. We will read responsively by half verse. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. So is the great and wide sea also, in which are things creeping innumerable, creatures both small and great. There go the ships, and there is that Leviathan, whom you made to take its pleasure therein. These all wait upon you, that you may give them food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it, and when you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are troubled. When you take away their breath, they die and are turned again to their dust. When you let your breath go forth, they shall be made, and you shall renew the face of the earth. The glorious majesty of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his works. He looks at the earth and it trembles. If he even touches the hills, they shall smoke. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will praise my God while I have my being. And so shall my words please him. My joy shall be in the Lord. As for sinners, they shall perish from the earth, and the ungodly shall come to an end. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. A reading from the book of Acts, chapter 2 beginning at the first verse. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from a heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. 
But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join with us now as we sing our gradual. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. 
or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we believe that you inspired your servant Luke to record these words here in Acts chapter 2. And we believe these words not only had power in the day that Luke wrote them, but these words have power this day because they're inspired by the Holy Spirit who was poured out on the church on Pentecost. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit. Open this word for us, perhaps as never before, that we would be changed more and more to be like Christ. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Within a changing world, I am confident in our mission because I believe in the Holy Spirit. In a changing world, I am confident in our mission because I believe in the Holy Spirit. As we reopen for worship, as we return to our routines, as we re-engage with mission, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And the Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence to borrow a book title from Gordon Fee, my New Testament professor at Regent College. God's empowering presence, enabling believers to do the mission that God has called us to. You see, the Bible holds two truths together about the Holy Spirit. The first is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In other words, unless the Holy Spirit is working on you in what theologians would call prevenient grace, grace that goes before, grace that comes ahead, that kind of grace softening a heart, quickening a dead soul. Unless the Spirit is there, a person can never come to a place of faith. So if you've said Jesus is Lord and believed it in your heart, then you have the Holy Spirit. That's 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. But the Bible also says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, do not quench the Spirit. In other words, the mystery is this, that we as Christians cannot be Christians without the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can be assured of that. The Holy Spirit is not just poured out on certain Christians. But in a mysterious way, we are given the freedom to quench the Spirit, to push back the Spirit's power in our lives. Often we quench the Spirit through our unrepentant hearts. Sometimes we quench the Spirit by ignoring how the Holy Spirit is trying to grab a hold of us and prompt us in our living. And sometimes we simply quench the Spirit by forgetting that he's even there. I think for many of us within the church, though we say that we're Trinitarian, three persons, one God, we actually function as binitarians. Most of us have room in our theology functionally for the Father and for the Son, but we don't quite know what to do with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gets lost and forgotten in many of our lives. It's like the two boys that 
are misbehaving and the mother is just at the end of a rope. And so she takes them to church and says, I'll get the preacher to deal with them. And so the preacher decides he'll divide and conquer. He leaves one of the brothers outside the church building and brings the other and sits him in the front row of front pew of the church and says to the boy in the pew, where is God? And the boy's eyes get wide. And a second time, the preacher says in a larger voice, where is God? And the boy's eyes get huge. A third time, where is God? The boy stands up, bolts out of the church, grabs his brother outside and says, we've got to run for it. We're in so much trouble. God is missing and they think we did it. See, the challenge we face when we forget the Holy Spirit in our lives, is that we forget the power of God that has been poured into our hearts. This gift, this promise that Jesus has given to us. Within a changing world, I am confident in our mission together, friends, because I believe in the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us our capability to do mission makes us able to be the missionaries in this world God has called us to be. And the Holy Spirit also gives us our compassion, does a work on our hearts to transform and change us so that we can be the compassionate people of God on mission. But not only does he give us our capability and our compassion, but the Holy Spirit gives us our character, our character For mission and friends, character is often, so often, what is missing and lacking within the church in mission. But the Holy Spirit has promised it in us. See, first, the Holy Spirit gives us our capability in mission. Verse 1 of Acts chapter 2, if you'll turn with me. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. See, the church is cloistered still in Acts 2 verse 1. They've not yet gone out in mission. Why? Because they're obeying Jesus. They're obeying his command as chapter 1 verse 4 says. And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. They're waiting on the Holy Spirit. And the reason Jesus has them wait for the Holy Spirit before they go out in mission is that without the Holy Spirit, without that Spirit that Jesus says in Luke 24 verse 49 is the power from on high, that clothing with power from on high, the promise of the Father, their mission without him would fail. As Charles Spurgeon says, without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are ships without the wind. We are branches without sap. We are like coals without fire. We are useless. See, in John chapter 14, verse 16, which Deacon Tony read just a moment ago, Jesus says this of the Holy Spirit, I will ask the Father and he will send another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You will know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. See, this word Holy Spirit helper. Helper is the word paraclete. And it can be translated in many different ways as a helper, as the text here translates it, as the comforter, as the advocate, as the counselor. But my favorite way of describing the Holy Spirit is as the battle partner. That's what paraclete meant in the first century. That battle partner who would literally stand behind you and have your back, making you a somewhat invincible fighting force if you truly had your battle partner with you. You see, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament 
came upon prophets and priests and kings, came upon particular people at particular times and particular places for particular tasks to make them capable for the mission that God had given them. But here on the day of Pentecost, in verse 4, we're told that they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Not just some, but all. As Peter, explaining this phenomenon, quoting Joel chapter 2, says in verse 17, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Capable, all believers, all Christians, made capable by the empowering presence of God because of the promise poured out on Pentecost. Isn't it an amazing thing when you see a person who you would regard as totally capable? I remember a number of years ago, number of years ago, when I was a senior in college, the great mime Marcel Marceau was coming to town to run a workshop. And the workshop was so popular, you had to audition to get in. So hundreds of actors throughout the city and hundreds of theater students Auditioned, and just a handful of us got to spend the day with this world-renowned mime, Marcel Marceau. And as the day began, we came into that workshop space and we only had his students, Marcel Marceau's students, who had been training with him for years. And they were incredible, incredible to spend the first two hours with them doing exercises and learning how to move. But then just before lunchtime, the old mime, 75 years old, walked into the room. And as he began teaching us, he exuded capability to his fingertips. You could see a man who had spent his entire career honing the gifts and skills that God has given him. And suddenly watching him for hours on end that day, you would realize that no one would ever pull a mock a mime joke again. This man was capable. And this is the promise that the Holy Spirit brings into our ordinary lives. That we ordinary broken people that we are, are made capable, capable for the mission that God has given us because of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit also gives us our compassion for mission. Compassion in the Bible is a wonderful word. It's the word in Greek, splankna, which means in the guts. It means sort of being torn up on the inside about something. In Matthew chapter 9, we read that Jesus looks out on the crowds and has compassion for them. He's torn up inside over them because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And this compassion is shown to us and gifted to us, the church, in the giving of the tongues. Yes, in verse 4 of chapter 2, we're told that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now these tongues are not the angelic tongues that Paul speaks about in 1 Corinthians 13. These tongues in Acts chapter 2 are actual other languages. As we read in verse 8, the crowds surprised. How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia and Cappadocia and Judea, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia. Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. Visitors to Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We all hear them in our own tongues declaring the mighty works of God. These are the languages that are poured out of the disciples' mouths. The languages of many, many nations on the day of Pentecost. 
And you may say, what does that have to do with compassion? Well, go with me on this. See, in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus says something profound. He says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So in other words, what's brewing in your heart is ultimately what comes out of your mouth. And we all know this in our own lives from our sinfulness and our brokenness. It's what's stewing within us that ultimately comes out of us from our mouths. And so if on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit puts the language of another nation into a disciple's mouth, then is it not a sign that in fact the Holy Spirit has put that nation on the disciple's hearts? What comes out of the mouth, the nation's language comes from the heart. Love and compassion for that nation being placed supernaturally by the Holy Spirit on our hearts. And I think nation today, just to be clear, can really mean any socioeconomic group. Pentecost means that the Holy Spirit is putting people external to your own group on your hearts. Instead of the tribalism, And the partisanship that we see growing and growing in our world, Pentecost turns that around. And that in itself is a miracle. That's what the gift of tongues, I think, means on this day of Pentecost. And it's a true miracle. As Luther so eloquently said in the Latin, the natural condition of a sinful human being is incurvatus in se, curved in on oneself. That our whole perspective as sinful, broken people is to focus on us and our needs and our tribes and what gets us ahead. But Pentecost turns it around and we are turned outwards towards a world in compassion. Just before the COVID-19 shutdown, I took a team, small team from Christ Church including my 15-year-old daughter, to Rwanda. We went to see the preschool that Christ Church was able to build last year as we continue to partner with the entire Anglican church in Rwanda and able to see the next location where we're building both a preschool and a church in Rwanda. And anyone who's traveled that far in the world knows what a distance it is. I mean, 25 hours in travel time. And a good half of the team was delayed a full day in Washington, D.C. because of a mechanical error. So you had another 24 hours. So we're talking 50 hours of travel time for them to get there. And then, oh, the joy of trying to travel home through Europe as the whole COVID-19 crisis was erupting. Arriving back in the United States the same day that the borders were shut down. And yet despite all of that trouble, getting there and getting back, not a single member of that team would trade that mission for anything. Because our hearts were captured and are captured by Rwanda. The Holy Spirit placing that nation on our hearts. And the question you and I each need to ask in our own lives is what person or people group or nation is God specifically placing on your heart? Because that may well be a missional call by the Holy Spirit. But finally, not only does the Holy Spirit give us capability for mission and compassion for mission, but finally, he gives us our character for mission and character matters for mission. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, the call of Abram, God tells Abram and Israel and all God's people that will follow, I will bless you, and those who bless you, I will bless, and those who curse you, I will curse, and through you, Israel, my chosen people, all the nations of the world will be blessed. In other words, God chose a chosen people for the purpose of blessing and reaching the whole world. Israel and now the church called to be a sign people, a show people, a display people 
for the world, that the world would know who God is and would see a different kind of living, a different kind of character in us. And in order to accomplish those purposes, God brings Israel out of Egypt and brings them to Mount Sinai. And on Sinai, God gives his law. And his law, the giving of the law at Sinai, is about the pouring out of instructions for here is what it looks like to live as my display people in the world. Live these laws and people will see the character that my people are to have in this world. And as Moses goes up on Sinai, listen to the language carefully about what happens in this moment on Sinai with the giving of the law. Chapter 19 of Exodus, verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in the thunder. The thing we need to remember from the giving of the law on Sinai, that giving of the character, the instructions for what it means to be God's display people, is that moment was wrapped in noise and fire. Noise and fire wrapped up on Sinai. But the amazing thing, of course, is Moses comes down the mountain, and what does he find? He finds Israel worshiping the golden calf. And what does he do? What does Charlton Heston do with those Ten Commandments tab tablets? He smashes them as a prophetic action against Israel. That before the law has even been read to you, you have already broken it. You clearly can't live this call. You won't have the character I need you to have in this world. Something more is needed. And the prophets began to prophesy of what that something more might be. In Ezekiel chapter 36, Ezekiel, God says to Ezekiel this promise in verse 26 to a nation, his chosen people, not able to live the calling, not having that consistent character before the world. He says this, God says, I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And then on the day of Pentecost, oh, and by the way, the feast day for the giving of the law at Sinai, you need to remember this. The feast to celebrate that moment was called the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of the Peace, the Feast of Weeks. And so on that Pentecost celebration, generations later, after Jesus, the Son of God, had come and borne the sin of humanity in his body as he died in our place, as he rose from the dead overcoming not just sin, but death itself. Then on the day of Pentecost, 40 days after his resurrection, the disciples were together. They were called into mission. They too would need that same character that God had called his display people to have. And verse 2 of our text says, Suddenly there came from heaven like a sound of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. On this day of Pentecost, because the Son of Man had fulfilled the promise of taking what was wrong and broken within us, overcoming sin and death, now the Holy Spirit comes on us. Noise and fire on Pentecost for the purpose of giving us the character we need for this mission. But no longer, no longer 
a law written on tablets of stone, but as Paul says, written on human hearts. This is the promise of Pentecost, that you and I, broken as we are, will have character formed in us supernaturally by the power of the Holy Spirit to be a people of character on mission. As John Owen writes so eloquently in the 17th century, he says of the Holy Spirit that he can make the dry, parched ground of my soul to become a pool and my thirsty, barren heart as springs of water. Yes, he can make this habitation of dragons the heart that is so full of abominable lusts and fiery temptations to be a place of bounty and fruitfulness unto himself. I think if I I was ever to write a memoir, I'd want to call it a habitation of dragons because that is what we are without God's Holy Spirit coming in and transforming us. This character is what the world desperately needs to see in the church. And let me give you a pastoral admonition as we move back into the world, as we come out of isolation, as we return to public worship. Hear these words about the kind of character that's needed in this season. Two things among many. First is politics and COVID-19. Let me just say that I've said before, the politics surrounding coronavirus is becoming as ugly as the virus is itself. And we as the church must recognize that within the ranks, inside the church, there will be divergent opinions politically about this coronavirus. And this is not the place for those political pieces of conjecture to be claimed and promulgated. This is where we promulgate Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, crucified on our behalf for our sins. That is what we declare in this place and not the politics of this disease. We just give thanks to God that we are back together. And secondly, let me say this, people will return at their own speeds. Not everyone will return so quickly. And it is our job not to be casting blame or shame on those who approach this at different speeds but rather to, with generosity, recognize that many of us have risk factors that others may not even be aware of and to let each other move back into our rhythms at the pace that is comfortable for each of us. Let our language and our actions and for God's sakes, our social media posts sound like Jesus. The character in the church is integrally connected to the effectiveness of our mission. Come Holy Spirit and give us the character the church needs in reopening. Within a changing world, as I get off my soapbox, in a changing world, I am confident in our mission because I am confident in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to make us capable for mission, to give us the compassion we need for mission, and to finally give us the character that we so desperately need to live out this mission in the world. In this season, we've been watching all kinds of movies with my eldest daughter, Annabelle, before she moves out into the world. Uh, and it's given us a, a, a time. It delayed her departure for her uh, schooling in London. And so we've been watching movies together to make sure she catches all these key moments. And I'm not, you know, commending any of these films I've referenced in various sermons. You've got to make your own decisions. But one of my favorite that I showed her is Shakespeare in Love. It's, it's an amazing picture for those of you who love Shakespeare. And there's this moment at the end of Shakespeare, or near the beginning, actually, of Shakespeare in Love, where one of the main characters describes the state and the the challenge of what a theater company faces. And, And the way he puts it, he could be speaking about the church. 
And, and here's, here's what Jeffrey Rush's character, Philip Henslow, says. He says, Mr. Fennyman, allow me to explain about the theater business. The natural condition is one of insurmountable obstacles on the road to imminent disaster. Strangely enough, it turns out well. How? I don't know. It's a mystery. And this mission we're on can feel just like that. Insurmountable obstacles on the road to imminent disaster, and yet strangely enough, it all works out well. It's a mystery. But the difference for the church is we know the name of he who is that mystery that makes it work out well. And his name is the Holy Spirit. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Melt us, mold us, fill us, use us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please join me as we reaffirm our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, 
the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. O Lord, show your mercy upon us, and grant us your salvation. O Lord, guide those who govern us, and lead us in the way of justice and truth. Clothe your ministers with righteousness and let your people sing with joy. O Lord, save your people and bless your inheritance. Give peace in our time, O Lord, and defend us by your mighty power. Let not the needy, O Lord, be forgotten, nor the hope of the poor be taken away. Create in us clean hearts, O God, and take not your Holy Spirit from us. A collect for times of social conflict or distress. Increase, O God, the spirit of neighborliness among us, that in peril we may uphold one another, in suffering tend to one another, and in homelessness, loneliness, or exile befriend one another. Grant us brave and enduring hearts that we may strengthen one another until the disciplines and testing of these days are ended and you again give peace in our time. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. The Collect of the Day. Almighty God, on this day, through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you revealed the way of eternal life to every race and nation. Pour out this gift anew, that by the preaching of the gospel your salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. I'm so glad you could join us on Pentecost Sunday for this online service of worship. And next week, we will, by God's grace, be reopening and in his strength and in his wisdom. And for those who are not able to join us, we will still make available an online service. And for those who are gathering, we encourage you, no, we require you to read all of our notices on the website about the modifications and expectations for you and for us as we reopen this sanctuary for worship. It will be a glorious day. It will be a homecoming. And we will do so with safety, with excellence, and a view always towards biblical faithfulness. Receive these words of benediction. The peace of God which passes all understanding guards your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you always. Amen. Let us conclude with our closing hymn, 
singing together. Alleluia, alleluia. Let us go forth into the world rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. Amen.